Are you ready to make 2017 the year you transform your life? You can wait for something to happen or you're actually gonna decide to go, go home after this weekend to do something about that. We all know that we have a very, very limited amount of time on this earth. So let's not have repeated years. Live your own life. Make the choice, make the decision for your own life. Fear is where you develop courage. There's a moment going, holy crap, all right, I'm gonna do this now. The Wellness Breakthrough is coming. And so you actually have that choice every single morning, every single day, every single moment to decide whether you're gonna live it to the fullest or not. Join myself, Marcus Pierce, and the Wellness Guys, Damien Christoph, Lawrence Tam, and Brett Hill for two nights and three days of transformation at the Country Place. 10 acres of breathtaking rainforest in the Dandenong Ranges of Victoria, February 17 to 19. It's each and every single one of you are gonna support each other in your journey, whatever that journey is. Couples discounts available, limited spots remaining for all information and to watch the spine chilling video, go to thewellnessbreakthrough.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to a place of wellness and healing for both your body and mind. Get ready to live a happy, healthy, whole food life that totally rocks. You're listening to Shiny Healthy You, the straight-talking natural health show for busy women with your host and naturopath, Jules Galloway. Today's guest is the founder of MTHFR Support Australia. She is a naturopath, a herbalist, a nutritionist who has a Bachelor of Herbal Medicine, Bachelor of Naturopathy, Advanced Diploma of Naturopathy and a Diploma of Nutrition. She's also studied courses in genetics at Duke University and the University of Maryland. Yep, we're pulling out the big guns today. Her trip down the MTHFR rabbit hole began when she noticed that many of her patients had similar issues with folate in their blood work. She embarked on a mission to discover the significance of this and it led her to the MTHFR gene. She now sees chronically ill patients who have searched sometimes for decades to find the reason behind their ill health. Most of her patients have MTHFR mutations and or associated methylation disturbances, which we'll get into today. Today we're going to learn what MTHFR actually is, how this pesky gene mutation can go on to affect things like your thyroid, adrenals, hormones, detoxification, energy and neurotransmitters. We will talk about how to get tested and what to do if your test comes back positive. MTHFR can be a really confusing topic, so I'm stoked to speak to this lady today because she's going to set us straight. No pressure, hun. Please welcome to the show the wonderful Carolyn Ladowski. Woohoo! Hello. Thank you, Jules. What an introduction. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> all right, we're going to break it all down. I'm really looking forward to this. I know, me too, because I tell you what, it's like the most confusing topic that I've come across as a naturopath. And there's so much information out there and so many rabbit holes that you can dive down. And it's really, really hard to make sense of it all. 
So it is. And that's why I've spent a lot of this year, you know, training naturopaths and presenting around Australia. And I think the more you delve into it, the more complicated it becomes. And I think if anyone ever says, I, I understand it all, they're lying because it is this minefield of biochemistry. And the further you deep, you dig, the, the harder it gets. So, you know, it is, I love it. I love it for that reason, but it is very complicated. I know it appeals to my nerdy little side as well, but mm. you're right. If someone says they know it all, they don't because we're all still learning. Correct. Absolutely. Every day. So how did you become interested in all of this? Well, it's exactly as your introduction said. So basically, because I'm a bit of a geek as far as biochemistry, I really made it a mission to understand blood work and try and find out you know, what someone's bloods were telling me. And so the, the things that I would normally check was B12 and folate. And I will never give up and I will never just accept an answer. So when it came back that these asterisk red cell folate kept coming back for half the people, I rang the labs and I said, look, what, is, what does this asterisk mean? Oh, well, it's above reference range. Yes, but what does that mean? And they said, oh, it just means they're eating a lot of leafy green vegetables. And I thought, that's rubbish because I know these people. I know they're telling me that their diet is bad or they're really sick. So I, I knew that that was a problem. I rang labs. I spoke to professors. I, I had meetings with doctors and everybody said the same thing. And it wasn't until I was at a conference in Melbourne about eight years ago that the presenter there said off the cuff in the middle of a presentation, oh, yes, elevated red blood cell folate is associated with the MTHFR gene. And I went, what? So I made a beeline for her as soon as she finished and I said, what is this MTHFR gene? And she said, look, it affects folate metabolism, just Google. And that's, I literally became obsessed. I, I, I used to sit up till four o'clock in the morning. My husband had come in and go, what on earth are you doing? I'm researching, I'm researching. And I was just, it, and I literally taught myself everything. And then when I, when I said to him, I'm changing my, cause it made so much sense in so many different areas. I came home and I said to him, I'm changing my whole name of my business, everything. And it's going to be MTHFR. And he said, you are crazy. <laughs> and so when I changed it, I launched the website. You have no idea how many Australians were already onto it. They Googled. And as soon as they saw it, it was like, we want it. And overnight, my business went from being good to just, oh my goodness, I'm so overwhelmed with the amount of people I'm trying to see. I had to get new practitioners. And then it took me, you know, four to six months to train them. So it was like this ever ending catch up. But I realized then that this was really significant. Yeah, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. And it's become a bit of a buzzword out there lately. Um, but can you just uh, take a little pan out just for a second and can we just explain in simple terms for everyone out there what MTHFR means and yep. what are all the different types of polymorphisms because there's different types of MTHFR you can have. Correct, yes. So MTHFR is methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase. It's a long word, but essentially it is an enzyme that is B12 
because of a gene mutation, it is an enzyme that changes the folate into an active form. So when you eat leafy green veggies, your body has to go in the folate cycle. It goes through a very extended process to create an active folate. And that active folate that your body needs is called 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate. So essentially, this MTHFR gene makes an active folate called methylfolate. And it is this methyl that then is instrumental in acting like a master regulatory switch for your genes, for enzymes, for hormones, for detoxification. It's like a master switch. So when you have a mutation, depending on what mutation, it will downregulate. So instead of, so for example, you ask what different types there are, there are actually about 30 to 35 MTHFR genes. But the two that we look at, particularly because that's where the research is at right now, is the 677T and the A1298C. So the 677T, for example, if you are homozygous, so homozygous means you have two copies of the gene that's mutated, and that's from mum and dad. If you are heterozygous, you have one copy from mum or dad. We don't know. So when you are homozygous 677T, that enzyme is actually down-regulated by 60 to 70%. So you are not getting 60 to 70% of active folate through the system. So when you look at the repercussions of that, it can affect anxiety, depression, hormonal issues, pregnancy. Multiple miscarriage is a very big deal, and I've been researching that for the whole year. That has been my focus this year. Um, detoxification. So you see people with um, multiple chemical sensitivity, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, and the list goes on and on and on. ADD, ADHD, autism, all can be associated along with other things with this MTHFR gene. Yeah. So that's that's why it's so huge. Yes. Yeah, and it's interesting. I uh, what you said about there being around thirty different ones. Do you do you think we've just really only hit the tip of the iceberg so far? Absolutely. Yes. And when you know when I started, I did look at because I predominantly use you know genetic tests that show me about eight of these genes, but there's really not a lot of research that we can categorically say with the others at this point, well, we know that this variant, for example, is going to affect you here, here or here. And probably the biggest question I get asked is, well, what would you say in general terms is the effect of one versus the other? And what we do know is traditionally, if you ask doctors, the 677T, they know that it's associated with potentially elevated homocysteine and therefore they will only consider it an issue if there's cardiovascular, you know, for cardiovascular risk. However, we know from seeing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of patients a year that, <clears throat> excuse me, the A, the 677T is definitely associated with multiple miscarriage, anxiety and depression, 
detoxification problems, low glutathione, um, energy cycle issues. And we know that predominantly the A1298C, if I was to generalize, I think there are certainly fertility issues around that and there's good evidence now to suggest that. But I I see most of those patients, irrespective of what else is going on, they really do have the high anxiety and depression. Yeah. As well, but that's predominantly. Now, I know that's a huge generalization, but that's it to, to break it down easily. That's essentially what we're seeing. Yeah, I'm seeing huge amounts of anxiety as well with both the 6770 and the 1298C. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you mentioned birth de- uh, you mentioned the miscarriages, mm-hmm. birth defects, because there's been a lot of talk about that. Um, is there much evidence out there to support a link with MTHFR and what types of defects are we talking about? So essentially, yes, there is There is quite a bit of evidence if you sift through it that predominantly it's midline defects, so cleft lip, cleft palate, um, spina bifida, um, all these sort of uh, heart disorders, so hole in the heart, all those sort of things. It's the midline defects that we see predominantly associated with a folate deficiency. That's that's the number one. And I think that my mission this year, and I, I don't think I've really even touched the surface, was to just scream from the rooftops, you know, 65% of the population has potentially an MTHFR gene mutation, 65%. Now, for the vast majority of those people, there is no issue with that because either their environment or their lifestyle or when they were in utero, there was no real issues. Their, Their parents weren't stressed and so the gene isn't really causing a problem. But for every single fertile woman who is ever considering falling pregnant, you have to know in advance whether you are particularly homozygous for either one. Because if we could stop even one miscarriage, we should be we should be doing it. And for people to have six, seven and eight miscarriages, which we often see, and then someone says, oh, have you checked the MTHFR gene? I think that's criminal. I, I think we, we need to be telling all women and men Before you even consider falling pregnant, you need to know if you have this gene. Yeah, and it's such an easy test as well to screen for. Simple, simple. It's not expensive. But we have one on our website, which is a finger prick test that they can do at home. Yeah, yeah. So it's so simple and so easy. Um, You don't even have to leave your home to do it. Yeah, so there's a finger prick test. Are there other ways to do it as well? Yes, you can You can obviously go to the doctor and ask for the test. However, I think with all the um, profile that we built of that over the last few years, the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners put out a statement at the mid- beginning of, or middle of this year and basically says it's not routine and we don't recommend you doing it. So, People are going to get, unless they can go with proof that there is a family member who has it, you're probably not going to get a lot of doctors now that will willingly say, yep, I'll do it. So that's why we say, well, we can send referrals. We can send swab kits for the mouth. We can send you finger prick tests. So we can 
you can actually get access to all of these without necessarily having to go to the doctor. And I hate to say that because, you know, I really believe in integrative um, healthcare. I, I think if we can be collaborative, it's a much better way to go. But I have seen the torment that people get and the questions and the grilling from doctors just because they want to ask for it. And I think that's unnecessary for someone to have to go through that. Yeah. And I, I like the idea of testing through a, a health practitioner because then you know you've got that support when the results are delivered. But if the support's not there in the first place. Yeah. Well, we ring everybody um, and we say, here are your results. What would you like to do about it? Yeah. And so if they if they want a practitioner or they want to go to their doctor, or they want more information, we'll give it to them. Yeah. I think that's it's the best way to do it because I think to for someone to go to a doctor, and we've had hundreds of women who have come in with the history of multiple miscarriage, they've physically asked their doctor and said, should I be concerned about this because they're homozygous? And their doctor says, no, don't worry about it. Oh, goodness. Yeah. And so I think that's a big deal. I think that is the wrong information that we're we're giving out to people. It actually really does matter. Yeah. And and I must say I really love there's a page on your website um, that has just a really simple explanation. I think it's just called what is MTHFR or something like that. The amount of times I've copied and pasted that link and sent it to my clients when they've come back with a positive result, mm. it's just so easily laid out with a little explanation of, you know, which type you have, you know, and what it means. Thank you. Yes. It's a really good place to start. It is. And we've got the free video too that they can watch um, as well. So it, it's just a, I think I recorded it a couple of years ago. It was just an hour of or 45 minutes of, okay, what is it and what does it really mean? Because I think some people do panic, don't they, Jules? Oh, and, totally. yeah. and we don't want people to panic. It's nothing to panic about. I think it's actually really exciting. That's so why I say to my patients, this is exciting because you actually now know why you've got the health issues you've got. And if we know your folate is low, then we can help correct that really simply and really easily. Yeah. So if someone is diagnosed with MTHFR, what are the first steps that you would take them through? Okay. So the first thing I would explain to them is what it is and what it means to have the MTHFR gene and what are the potential implications. So if someone just came in and said, look, I have this gene, should I be worried? So I would do a good family history, case history, and I would ask about their parents and grandparents and sisters and brothers, and I'd say, okay, do you have a family history of, say, multiple miscarriage? Do you have a family history of spina bifida, cleft lip, cleft palate, um, hole in the heart, any of these, these issues? Do you have cardiovascular issues in the family? So has anyone had a heart attack? Has anyone had um, elevated blood pressure? Has anyone had a stroke? Um, I would ask about detoxification. So I would ask them, well, do you have real sulfur issues? Do you react to onion and garlic and eggs and wine really badly? Um, what's your energy like? Do you sleep well? Ha is there anxiety and depression in the family? And if, if the answer to all that is no, not really, then I would say, okay, it's probably not an issue for you, but the most important thing for you to consider is your environment because that is going to 
determine whether you express this gene later on or not. And when I mean when I talk about environment, what I mean is how much sleep you get, the type of food you eat. So obviously the more leafy greens you're eating, the more folate you will get through the system anyway. Yeah. The level of stress. So if someone is under a lot of stress all the time, then you chew through these really important methyls way too quickly and it becomes, you then get this deficit and it's very hard, particularly if you've got a homozygous mutation to catch up without methyls being put into the system. Um, So sleep, food, stress, And obviously any drugs or alcohol um, are obviously going to affect if done, you know, particularly if someone's drinking every night. And so I would then counsel them and say, right, it looks like you're going well. I would really uh, um, get you to avoid folic acid where you can and get the right forms of folate in the system. And if you are fine, you do what you're doing. If not, you know where we are. Yeah. If someone has yes to any of those things, then I will say, okay, let's, if you, so if someone says, oh, yes, I have someone in, in our family, I actually had a patient like this that said, in my family, every male member of our family dropped dead of a heart attack before the age of 40. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I said, right, that is your destiny and we have to change that. And I'm really confident that that's what we'll do if we address all these because he had elevated homocysteine, he had low folate, he had low B12, he had a lot of issues around the same things that would have sent him down that same path. Yeah. I bet so he was motivated to make the changes too, wasn't he? He was because he he was actually 34. Yeah. And so he was getting at that to that age where he was really thinking about it. So, you know, you can, it depends on, on what people are coming for and why they come. If someone has come with anxiety and depression that they've had most of their life and they've been on various antidepressants, I go, great, you are a prime candidate for us to turn this around because I really believe that this is genetic and that's why the drugs often don't work. Now, you mentioned folic acid back there. Mm. What's the deal with folic acid? Because a lot of people would be sitting there at first going, okay, well, if it's an issue with not enough folate or whatever, why don't we just add more folate? Why do we have to have the leafy greens? Can you please explain what's the deal with folic acid and, and why doesn't it work? Okay, good question. So think of folate as an umbrella term. And under that umbrella, we have four forms of folate. We have folic, which is man-made supplemental folate. We have our aden- we have um, folinic, and we have methyl. Sorry, we've got three forms: methyl, right? So, uh, if you look at the folinic and the methyl folate, are the more active forms. And folinic is important because it does get regenerated to methyl folate. But folic, so if you imagine, if you picture in your head, on the cell of every surface, you have folate receptors. They sit out there and they go, where is the folate? Where is the folate? And they, as folate passes through, they grab the folate and they bring it into the cell so that that folate pathway can start. But they prefer to bind 
to folic than natural forms like 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate. So folic, the very first enzyme inside the cell that gets this folate pathway working is is an enzyme called dihydrofolate reductase. It's the key, key enzyme that goes, great, I'm handballing this into the folate pathway and I'm going to get it moving down the system so that we can have 5-methyl. But folic acid, and this is the big issue with it, that enzyme can only cope with a maximum of 200 micrograms of folic acid a day. It Any more than that, and we shut that enzyme down. So if someone is having folic acid in bread, because by law, all commercial bread flour has to be fortified with folic acid. So people are getting it in their bread, they're getting it in their breakfast cereals, they're getting it in packaged goods, they're getting it in protein powders and protein shakes, and then they're taking a folic, a, a multi with folic acid on top. And so the guesstimate is that most people are getting over a 1,000 micrograms a day of folic acid. So essentially what's happening is that really important enzyme, DHFR, is being shut down. And so their folate pathway is not progressing. So that's the reason we don't want to use a folic. It's at the top of the chain, whereas folinic and 5-methyl are at the bottom end of the chain. The, the bottom one is 5-methyl and folinic is three-quarters of the way down, but it's crucially important to basically generate the recycling of 5-methyl as well. So they're both very important. But that's why we don't want folic acid. So... Why would you not just give everyone methylfolate? Why do those supplements uh, work for some people and aren't good for others? Okay, another very good question. (laughs) (laughs) I have a list. (laughs) Yes, I'm sure you do. It's like most people have a list. Okay, so there are various polymorphisms or um, people with genetic SNPs that have an issue with being able to utilize the folate from 5-methyl. Now, there can be varying reasons why this might happen. For example, if you don't have enough B12 in the system, then your 5-methyl can actually not be used effectively and it sits there and it builds up and that's when we often get a negative reaction. But people with what we call the COMPT gene, C-O-M-T, which is catechol-O-methyltransferase, is a really important enzyme that not only works on estrogen metabolism, but it affects dopamine. And so people who have a homozygous mutation in the COMPT gene, they will get an increase in dopamine, which can cause depression, anxiety, um, and really what I would call pissed off behavior. So they will be irritable and cranky and snappy and it just doesn't suit them. And I've seen enough people to know that you have to be very cautious with methyls because if you have got blocks in the system, so it's not only B12, it's not only the comp gene, but think of it like a a river. If you are neck deep in the river and you're just sitting there and I let floodgates open up the top of the, the hill, you're going you're gonna to drown. 
And that's what I like in this process too, because the downstream is what we call the CBS pathway. So we're getting a bit technical now, but the CBS or cystothione beta synthase is where a lot of the detoxification happens. So if people have low methyls and they're not creating enough glutathione or cysteine, their detoxification capacity is lessened and they feel toxins a lot more and they don't react well. Their liver doesn't do what it's meant to do to break things down. So when you put methyls in the system, if that detoxification pathway is blocked, they feel worse because you're letting out, you're, you're improving detoxification, but they haven't got the capacity to get rid of what's being detoxified. So does that make sense? So we have to make sure that the channels are open and that's why a lot of people react very badly to methyls because they've either got gut issues or liver issues or detoxification issues or they just simply don't have enough B12 to use those methyls that they're using, that they're creating. Yep. So you need good levels of B12s to make it all work anyway. Absolutely. Yeah, because I do see I, – I, I, lurk around in some uh you know facebook groups and whatnot where i see people chatting about mthfr and i see a lot of self-prescribing of methyls and i've even had clients come to me who've already got a prior diagnosis of mthfr and they went and sorted themselves out for methyl b's without checking to see if it was the right thing for them first and then they feel worse and Mm. it's really scary that people are giving other people advice about this sort of stuff Yes, uh, I do too. And that's why we try and put as much information on our website as we possibly can. And that's also I'm, I every Wednesday between three and four, I do an hour on Facebook and we pick a subject. So last week was how do you actually start with supplementation? This week is all about B12. And next week is going to be how you pick whether or not methyls are right for you. And so I think the more information we can put out there, um, that's one of the things I spent this year, as I said in the intro, working with um, practitioners to make them understand, listen, when you see MTHFR, you just don't give methylfolate. That is not the way we should be doing it. That's the, actually the last thing we do. But I look, I understand people Googling and I understand people wanting to help themselves because a lot of them feel like, They've got no choice. They may not be able to afford to go to a practitioner. So they say, well, I'm just going to give it a go. But one of the biggest things we have to be cautious of is the suicidal tendency and the depression tendency from methyls. That is, that's really serious. And I I encourage everyone when they have methyls of any sort to make sure that they've got our niacin to antidote it and they can antidote it within hours. So I think that's really important that everybody realizes if you are going to try it, you have to have that niacin on hand to antidote it. Yeah, that's really good advice. Now, the whole methylation thing is also a bit of a buzzword. Can you just explain what it means to be either over-methylating or under-methylating? Because I get a lot of people who come to me and go, oh, I'm an under-methylator, but they don't know what it really means. And how do we assess methylation? Okay, so this over under methylation, um, I, I don't really, I don't really love that terminology. I prefer to say you're not create, creating enough 
or you're creating enough but you're not utilizing them. So I think the overmethylation is a bad word. I think it's underutilization is actually the better word because these people are creating enough methyls, they just can't use them for whatever reason. And that's a Carl Pfeiffer terminology that was just born out of basically histamine levels. If your histamine was high, you're an undermethylator, and if your histamine is low, you're an overmethylator. But that's way too simplistic. So I think to answer the first question, so methylation, the reason it is called methylation is that There are enzymes in the body called methyltransferases that can only work if they have methyls to make them work. And as I said before, methyls are basically master switches. So, for example, PEMT is an enzyme. Anything that ends in an MT is a methyltransferase, which means it has to have methyls to work. So PEMT is an enzyme that helps us create phosphatidylcholine, one of our essential fatty membranes for all our cells. It helps with myelination of nerves. It helps with cellular membrane integrity, and it helps with brain function. So without methyls, a lot of those things can be affected. So the cellular integrity can certainly be affected, which makes them more susceptible to viruses and bacteria penetrating the cell. They can also have problems with memory. You know, they might say, I just can't remember where I even left my keys, let alone parked my car. Um, Myelination of nerves. So you can see almost MS type conditions. And all it is, is they're lacking methyls to activate um, these methyltransferase. COMT, the one we talked about before, integrally important in estrogen metabolism, metabolism and getting rid of toxic estrogens in the body. But without methyls, these toxic estrogens can build up and we can end up with um, estrogen-dominant conditions like fibrocystic breasts, fibrocystic ovaries, endometriosis, fibroids, all those sort of things. So methyl transferases and this whole process of methylation, which is even your DNA is methylated. So replicating DNA, protein synthesis, fat metabolism, they all need methyls and that's what we call the process of methylation things enzymes groups proteins hormones that are produced and metabolized but only through the help of methyls yeah oh that's a great explanation thank you so much now also in clinic i've started to see a lot of people who come in with uh, pyroluria or pyrol disorder Mm-hmm. So have MTHFR. Is there a link there? I actually have come to the conclusion that pyroluria doesn't exist. And, and I, what I mean by that is I don't think it's a standalone condition at all. I think pyroluria is an issue with the CBS pathway, cystathione beta synthase, because essentially what we're saying pyroluria is is a deficiency of zinc and B6, and there are some people, and they usually say it's genetic. Um, Yes, I do think it's genetic, but I think it's because the CBS is a B6-dependent pathway. It also is, and a lot of these pathways are zinc-dependent as well. So if you have a pathway, let's say it's working way too quickly, 
you're using a lot of your B6. And that CBS pathway relies wholly and solely pretty much on B6. You use a lot of B6 when you are trying and and zinc when you are um, developing your neurotransmitters, your brain chemicals. So I think the methylation has a huge demand for B6 and zinc. And I think if certain pathways are working too fast, particularly, you're going to really use them up a lot. I think we see a lot of people with oxalate issues. Um, I think glyphosate is becoming a bigger issue than we ever thought. And so they will bind to things like B6, zinc, iron. We see a lot of iron disturbances in MTHFR as well. So I think... You know, it's it's it really is a, a, a subsection of this pathway. I don't think it's standalone. So, yes, I believe there is a huge correlation between pyroluria and um, MTHFR, but I would go so far as to say that pyroluria is simply um, a disturbance in methylation pathways. Yeah, and then when, when I get a lot of my pyrol clients back, when we do test methylation, Yeah, we see a lot of disturbances there. Mm, That's right. Yeah. Ooh, so much food for thought. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Now, we're currently seeing quite the divide between GPs that understand MTHFR and others that are just, like, really, really keen to dismiss it. Why don't all doctors understand this issue, especially since there seems to be tests that you can do and so much scientific evidence out there to support it? Yeah, it's um it is an ongoing concern and I think look Jules think of the microbiome you know as naturopaths nutritionists we've been talking about the importance of the gut for centuries. It's only really in the last 2 years since it's become mainstream from a research perspective that all of a sudden the microbiome is the most important thing in the whole world of research mm-hmm. now. Right? Yep, yep. And so I think we're looking at a very, very similar scenario. I think initially, I think, you know, the biggest part, the problem I I see is that doctors do not understand biochemistry. They understand pharmacological products because that's really where the mainstay of their learning comes from when they go to, to med school. Um, but I do not think, because I had a med student who had just qualified sit in with me for a week and she looked at me after the first day and she said, you lost me after the first half hour. We don't learn this stuff. So they don't go into the bite. So if I, I know any doctor that's not an integrative doctor or up, up to date with what I'm talking about, I can talk to them for five minutes and I can see this glazed look in their eye because they don't understand the biochemistry. So, and also, I look, I think there's a lot of the doctors out there that might want to know, but they have limited time. Medicare says you've got 15 minutes with this person. That's the amount of time that you've got. And you've got to fix them and get them out. Now, what on earth can you do in 15 minutes? I have a headache. Here's a pill. Come back and see me in two weeks if it doesn't go. If it doesn't go, I refer you to a specialist. That's really the scenario of, unfortunately, where our health system has gone. 
they don't sit and spend an hour and a half like you and I would and talk about family history and the whole body and and everything else. I think they have 4,000 conditions to look after, so you can't expect them to know as much as, say, I do because I don't think anyone knows as much as I do as far as how this goes in Australia because that's all I do. I live and breathe it 24 hours a day. So I think there's there's definitely failings in the system, but I think unfortunately the medical fraternity, until it is like the gut bio, microbiome and it is front and centre and everybody's talking about it and, oh, my goodness, isn't this the greatest thing, they don't want to know because I've had a lot of patients come in and said, my doctor tested for it, but they said they don't know what to do about it. And I think that essentially is the problem. They're testing a, a genetic polymorphism, but they actually really have no idea what to do about it if it is positive anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least they're testing. There's plenty out there who aren't testing. So, hey, that's a good step forward. Mm. Yeah, got to think positive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, I did have a lot of doctors. I do have a lot of doctors that regularly um, – you know, go on to my webinars. I have monthly webinars for practitioners and there are more and more doctors joining that group, more and more doctors emailing me saying, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? So I think there are always going to be great doctors out there that are on top of it. They want to learn more about it. They're really keen to learn more about it, but you will always get on the other side of the coin, those that go, well, I didn't think of it. Therefore, I'm not even going to consider it. Yeah. I'm going to be joining those monthly webinars. Good, good, good. Let's do it. Now, you did touch upon the fact that MTHFR is just one of a range of different polymorphisms. We talked about the Compton, a few other ones. Why is MTHFR getting all the hype? Um, which other polymorphisms do you recommend checking for? And do you recommend doing that 23andMe or is that too much information for people? Okay, so... Let's answer those one at a time. Why is MTHFR getting all the hype? I think because it is one true polymorphism that does have major repercussions that is supported in the research. So it's not it's not just one of these that, you know, you say, oh, well, this might be associated with this and it might be. So there are tens of hundreds of papers every year now about MTHFR, um, preconception, pregnancy. They're looking at it in a vast majority of diseases in combinations with other genes now. I'm seeing a lot of research that is looking at three, four or five different um, SNPs, not just of MTHFR, but they might consider a lot of the folate pathway genes like MTHFS and MTHFD1. They're the ones that, you know, particularly all those folate pathways in preconception is really important. In, in terms of neurotransmitters, they definitely look at COMPT and MAL in combination with MTHFR. So I think there are a key combinations. But I think the reason is the folate is probably one of the most essential nutrients to the human body outside B12 and iron. So I think it is such a, a major, it has such a major impact on so many pathways. I think that's one of the reasons it's tested and tested and tested and researched so much. So that's number one. Um, I think 
The other polymorphisms, I always check COMPT because I really want to see what's going on with estrogen metabolism. I think COMPT also has a big part to play with MTHFR in terms of anxiety and depression. Um, I I do do the 23andMe um, because I really like to see what's going on with phase one, phase two liver detoxification. I like to see um, the, the dopamine and serotonin. I really like to see all the folate pathway genes. It makes a big difference to me in terms of how hard I then push methylfolate. I think I like to see the detoxification, the cysteine genes, um, glute, as I said, glutathione. Um, I think they're probably – and all the B12. I, I really think we have a chronic, chronic problem with B12 deficiency in Australia, and I don't think it's being addressed. So, And I see so many polymorphisms in B12 genes that I will say to someone, I don't care really what anyone else says – you are to have a B12 shot or I don't care what anyone else says, you are to take X amount of B12 and you take it daily. And it's amazing how quickly they will turn around. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting because you do, you know, you hear it all the time from people when they have that B12 shot. It's like someone's just given them their day back like they, it's so instant they get that energy and they feel so good so yeah because our b12 our b12 reference ranges in australia are pathetic you know they the douglas anymore and uh, laverty they will say that anything from 150 picomoles per liter is okay rubbish absolute rubbish the the japanese have increased their uh, reference range to a minimum of 500 and we're saying 150 plus I can tell you if someone has uh, a vitamin b12 of 150 picomoles per liter they've probably got neurological damage wow it's crazy yeah so that's an, another b12 webinar you might like to listen to on my site Jules it's um I go get on my high horse but I really think that <laughs> it's something and how many vegetarians and vegans have we got yeah. And, you know, I think they're not aware that they are actually doing themselves great harm if they are not supplementing with B12. But also I've seen so many people who are not vegetarian or vegan who have been told by their practitioner that they don't have to worry about B12 because they're not vego. Yes, well, that's not true either because anyone really with a gut dysfunction is going to have a problem with B12. How many people have we got on proton pump inhibitors, antacids, wipes out your B12? I mean, we've got – they should be only used for two or three weeks at a time. We've got people that have been on them for 10 years. Yeah, we've got children so, on them. It's, it's, it's absolutely insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go that high horse. We love it. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I, I have a rant or a rave probably every day about something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What did one of my one of my uh, prior guests said, um, Guy Lawrence, who said one of the best things he ever did was turn his television around to face the wall. And, yeah, quite often the ranting in our house happens because we've seen a margarine ad or something like that. <laughs> no, it's usually when I'm sitting down reading someone's file and I see what they've gone through with their health history and I I was sitting there the other night and my daughter was sitting there with a boyfriend and she said, I'm going, oh, my God, are you kidding me? And I'm ranting and raving for about half an hour. And she goes, what are you reading? I said, a poor woman's 
profile on what she has been through and what what has happened with her health over the last 15 years. I was ashamed and shocked and I was devastated for her. I just thought how could so many things have gone wrong and so many things be missed that really were quite simple and should have been checked. Yeah, and in clinic I've never seen people happy to be told they've got something going on. Like you come back and you say, okay, well, we've got the results of your test and it's positive for, you know, C677T and they go, thank God, because I was starting to think I was going crazy. No one would believe me. I've been through so many different practitioners and I'm really happy to have have found something wrong. Yes, exactly, exactly. And a lot of these patients will have health histories in, you know, manila, manila folders three high and they will have done every test, they will have seen everybody and everybody says there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. And yet when a patient says to me, I feel sick, I take note. I don't I don't think anything is stupid or anything is, they might often say this might seem silly, no. You tell me everything because it's the silly little things that you're aware of that often give me a really, really good indication of what's going on. Yeah, that is so, so true. Sometimes the diagnosis is in the little details, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Love it, love it, love it. Now, you have a fabulous website that I rave about with my clients, like I said. Um, it offers support to people who've been diagnosed with MTHFR. Can you please let us know where we can find you? Absolutely. It's um, mthfrsupport.com.au and we've also got a Facebook group, MTHFR Support Australia, where I do my weekly um, you know, question and answer sessions. Um And, yeah, as you said, our site is geared to giving as much information. We've just launched our own range of products. I don't know if you knew that. I've seen them, yes. Yeah. Through Oborn, I saw them. Oborn, yep. And so in Western Australia, it's Walcott and we've got um, internationally people, if they're listening to this from overseas, they can actually access it through our shop page on um, our website. But we have, as I said before, we've got all sorts of webinars that some are free. Every month I do a free um, preconception and um, fertility webinar where, and it's very interactive. We stop and have, you know, half hour question and answer sessions through it in the, in the middle at the end. So, and the, the vast majority of women from all around the world that join that every month have multiple miscarriage and they've never worked out why. I actually created a course um, this year for people with the MTHFR gene for for preconception so they can actually do it. If they can't afford to go to a practitioner, it's a step-by-step process on how to prepare. We've got, as I said, practitioner webinars. We've got blogs. We've got events so there's a a whole event section now where you can see what's coming up the facebook or free webinars or practitioner webinars or we have a live meeting in our um, clinic so anyone that's based in sydney 
They can come and join us. Any t- we have it on the second Monday of every month. That's free. They can just turn up. They can ask as many questions as they like. So we try and, and give as much information as possible so that people can then go out and um, decide what they need to do. And as of next year, Jules, we're going to have a practitioner um, support page as well. So we're going to be training key practitioners around Australia because we can't handle the demand anymore. We've got way too many patients. So I'm going to handpick a selection of practitioners too that I can train and then we'll put them up on our website and they'll be the people that we will refer to. That just sounds spectacularly good. <laughs> it is. So it is because as you said, you know, there's not many practitioners that understand this particularly well either. And a lot of them do see MTHFR and turn around and go, well, you need methylfolate. They don't understand the intricacies and what they need to look at. So this practitioner training I'm going to be doing is actually taking them through cases and they will present cases to me and we'll work on them together. And it's the only way I really feel like we can give good support because the theory is great you know the theory is there but unless you've actually got someone to say all right now how do you make that theory how do you turn that theory into practice it's the same with patients technically you know x y and z should work but as you said a lot of them will take something and it doesn't and then they don't know what to do so hence the interactive sessions and now that we're doing these weekly Facebook page groups, we're actually turning those into resources that will be on our resources site. So anyone can then log in and go, oh, how do I start supplementing? Or how do I pick the best B12 for me? Or how do I pick the best folate? And that's going to be going on for the whole of next year. So we'll we'll build up good resources that people can just log in and listen and whatever. That's fantastic. Carolyn, it's so obvious that you really, really care about not just this topic, but the people who come to you with this issue, like you can really see that you just give and give and give and give. So thank you so much. And thank you for spending the time with us today because I know you're busy. I can even hear your phone buzzing in the background. I know you're very oh, sorry. Sort after. No, it's all good. <laughs> but I know you're very sought after. So I really value the fact that you've you've spent this time with us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I really, really love doing these sessions because I think if we can break it down and make it simple for people, and you're right, I do really love what I do and I think it's been life-changing for me as well as my patients because there are sometimes you get a result that you never, ever expected and it's like even I go, wow, that's so awesome because if you're someone who's had depression and anxiety and weight issues for 40 years And then all of a sudden in six or eight weeks' time, it's all gone. You go, oh, my goodness, that that actually was really cool. So, you know, it's like I get really excited by it because I'm always searching for an answer and I never – I guess one of my patients said to me yesterday, what we love about you is you never, ever give up. And I don't. If someone is not progressing the way I think they should, I've got my head in that book, in in the research and the biochemistry, and I'm always looking for another answer. So yeah, I'd encourage everyone, just don't give up. You've just got to 
I, I think this is such a big deal that if someone says to you it's no big deal, just pursue what feels right for you because, you know, that's really, <clears throat> excuse me, that's really important. Yeah. Because I do think there's an answer for everything. Yep, and we just need to keep digging until we find it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much. Now, if you're, if you're out there listening to all of this and you've been nodding your head throughout, make sure that you look Carolyn up online with MTHFR support and I will put as many links as I can into the show notes to guide you there. Thanks again, Carolyn. It's really been a pleasure. Thanks, Jules. Lovely talking to you. Bye, everyone. Bye. Now, this is the part of the show where I usually let you know how to find me online. I might encourage you to subscribe and then maybe offer you a free ebook or a guide to healing adrenal fatigue. But this week, I've got something more serious to talk about. I need your help. Only three days ago, I became aware of a project that I knew I just had to be a part of. A group called Involvement Volunteers International, headed up by, would you believe it, a naturopath, are putting together a group of healthcare practitioners who will fly to Greece and work directly with Syrian refugees in the camps there. These refugees have experienced atrocities, many too terrible to speak of. They're suffering from trauma, malnutrition and disease. Many are pregnant or breastfeeding. These Syrian people have no income, no permanent home and need urgent health care. Two days ago, I was invited to be part of the solution in a small but significant way. And of course, I said yes. Together with a team of volunteer doctors, nurses, physiotherapists, naturopaths and nutritionists, yep, all working together the way we should, I will be making my way to Greece in February 2017 to work with these Syrian refugees in the camps. We will provide basic healthcare and nutrition for those most in need, but I need your help to make this happen. I need $3,500 and I've started a fundraiser to help me get there. It would mean so much to me if you could donate as we're self-funded. All the volunteers are funding themselves over there. So whether it's $5 or $50, it really all adds up. And if you head to my usual website at julesgalloway.com, you'll see on the right-hand side, I've put a little badge there that you can click on that'll take you to my crowdfunding page. On that page is a detailed description of where your money will go and more details on how we will be helping these people when we get there. Please consider reaching into your pocket to help. I know this is a really beautiful time of year and it is our festive season, so please be generous. Remember, all you have to do is head to julesgalloway.com and look for the little badge there on the right-hand side. Thank you so much for listening and for your open heart. I'll be back next week with another episode full of awesome health information and inspiration. Till next time, stay shiny and bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.